Welcome to the Cocktail Guru Podcast. A show about food, drink, and entertainment. With a tight focus on the good life. And all things delicious, luxurious, and fun. I'm Jonathan Pogash, bartender, author, and the host of Cocktails the Grand Tour. And I'm Jeffrey Pogash, wine and spirits professional, author, insatiable collector of culinary ephemera, and so people tell me, an engaging raconteur. And my dad. Yet another episode of the Cocktail Guru podcast coming at you. Hi, Dad. Hi, John. Here we go again. Here, here we a, go. Dad, um, with, how was... Yes, uh, John. How was your weekend? Oh, weekend was great. Oh, weekend good. was great. But it's even better now because I've got something really special in my glass. I love apricot, as you know. And I have Marie Broussard apricot. You can't, you can't get enough of it. Like you literally I, I can't. cannot get well, enough I, of apricot. I love it. I just love apricot. So I've made something special with this Marie Broussard apri. I did. I, I added some of some of Gary Regan's orange bitters. R.I.P. That's, that's, in, that's in honor of yeah. Gary. Yeah. And I've added some tiki bitters. Oh to yeah. This. I put some ice in the glass as well. Mm -hmm. And then I added some lemon scented sparkling water. Oh, wow. And it is absolutely delicious. You you really look like you look like you are enjoying yourself over there. Um, Mm. I I have my Apri uh, in my glass and then I'm going to hold on. Can you all hear this? Well, yeah, you probably heard that. So I'm opening like a good good tonic water uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm not using ice actually because it's, it's chilly outside. So, uh, this is uh, going to be my more like a room temperature uh, spritz, yeah. or as you were calling it earlier, Dad. What did you call this? A spritz. Yes, you said spritz. <laughs> and I said this is not. You know, we're not doing a Yiddish show here. So get that Yiddish. Um, it smells. It smells great. Uh, it, it's delicious. We could we could talk more about this, um, and we'll keep we'll keep sipping it. But yes, this this the way I've done it. It, it comes out beautifully balanced. And very refreshing. It's delicious. I'd like to now bring on our guest. So it is a true honor to be speaking with today's guest, uh, Mr. Jason Cosmas. Our our podcast includes topics on cocktails and, of course, wine and food, spirits, restaurants, all, all the best things that life has to offer. And we want to welcome Jay, who can speak knowledgeably about each and every one of those categories. Jay, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, so, hold on, Dad. I know you're you're like chomping at the bit here. I'm I'm, I'm very excited. I'm sorry, um, Jason. Jason excites me. This is a great <laughs> great begin, guest to have. We do begin each episode by asking our our guests' favorite beverages, but like you're stranded on desert island, uh, favorite beverage. So, uh, what is that for you, my friend? Oh my gosh, that's a really hard one. Desert Island, is this a, this is a hot desert island or a cold desert island? Well, let's make it a hot desert island. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, like one of the, uh, I mean, I think it's just going to be champagne. You know, it's like, you can't really have a bad time when you have champagne. Yeah. I think we've right. had, we have, we've had multiple people on the show say champagne, um, which is, uh, which is interesting. And is that yours, dad? Actually, that might be yours, is it? It. Well, it's hard for me to choose, but it is definitely one of my two Desert Island drinks. I, I just love champagne. It happens to be my single favorite category of wine, period. 
It's funny. So. It's it's actually really funny. Uh, you know, having the reputation of being you know in the cocktail world and spirits. Um, you know, when it comes to like those holiday times, and I, you know, the distributors or whoever give you a, a nice little thank you gift or something like that. Uh, they, you know, the question is like, oh, what's your favorite spirit? And I just look them dead in the eye and I say, champagne. Mm. So, yeah, and, very good. And sure enough, I always get tequila. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, all of you, all of you distributors out there, uh, if you want to get to Jay's heart, you know, you know what to give him. You know what to give him. Uh, but, but really, um, you and my dad actually go back quite a few years. I think before you and I met, that's for sure. Um, and it was back when dad was working over at Shefflin and Somerset, I think, right? Yes, we go back to, uh, I, if my memory serves me well, around 2004. I started working there in 1993. But in 2004, Jason and Dushan were in our offices working with us, working with me in particular and a few other people, on behalf of Ten Cane Rum. Yeah. And remember I that? I do. I remember it was uh, like we had, I think at that time there was just a bottle and a name. And yes, uh, and there was uh, we were trying different juice and uh, there was different conversations about how are we going to get this out to market? And, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, that was uh, an inspiration for, you know, for Dushan and I to, to kind of go off and do the 86 company eventually. Yeah. And at the same time, you were opening employees only. Correct. Correct. Mm-hmm. We, we weren't busy enough, so we needed, <laughs> you know, more work. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, you were, so that was like double duty for you guys. You were, um, so what was, what was kind of that early, um, idea of employees only specifically, you know, what was the grain, the, the nugget that, that the kernel, uh, if you will, that, that popped into your brains, you know, it was, uh, you know, having, uh, been trained by, you know, Dale DeGroff when I was really young, I just got bit by that, you know, infectious, infectious, uh, you know, passion that he has for, you know, like cocktails, but learning more. And, uh, you know, I kept on doing that. And at that time, you know, places were martini bars or Cosmo bars. And so, uh, you know, Dushan, I fell in love with the classics and I said, you know, what, I could do this for, for a long time. And so we decided that we were going to open up a very small, humble bar, uh, where we would be the only employees and, it was uh, him, myself, Igor, and Henry, um, four of the five founding members, and uh, you know that was the idea. We we're going to have maybe, maybe you know, a couple hundred square feet, and uh, and just have uh, build up a regular clientele and service the the uh, the restaurant industry after hours. And in your book called Speakeasy, just happened to have a copy here. You That's talk about classic cocktails reimagined. I think that seemed to be the philosophy behind employees only. For sure. You know, it's it probably still is what's underneath my skin a little bit in terms of like how I approach things. I, uh, I like to say that you know, we took a, a culinary approach to classic mixology. So, um, you know, we, uh, we spent so much time in like Dean and DeLuca, for example. Uh, you know, we would just try to like take these classic cocktails. And, and of course there was things like grenadine we couldn't buy during this time, except yeah. for, you know, that were artificially flavored and high fructose corn syrup. So we started making our ingredients our, ourselves, And that took us like, well, if we do it with 
if we're going to make grenadine, how about we try adding some clove and cardamom to it? And so, uh, you know, just that was that was kind of our approach. But I want to, you know, I'd like to delve deeper into um, employees only specifically and the philosophy and everything. But but I'd like to go back a bit further. Um, and you are from. Are you from New Jersey, New York? Where are you from? Uh, yeah, no, I grew up. I grew up on the on the Jersey Shore. I mm-hmm. went to Rutgers in my, uh, you know, for for college. I went to to art school. <laughs> and, Yay! Because uh, I, yeah. I went to Rutgers Graduate School. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, so I was in Mason Gross, and uh, oh yes, you know, that, oh yes, Mason Gross. When I was applying for colleges to for theater, um, I remember theater, uh, theater. Yes, the theater. Uh, <laughs> I, I remember Mason Gross very well. Yeah, it was it was amazing. But what was really amazing, I got hired at a place called uh, the Old Bay, and they were doing uh, you know Creole, Cajun, Louisiana, New Orleans food, and uh, it was uh, the bar program was actually pretty exciting. They were doing classics. I mean, we weren't talking about using great ice or proper technique really as much. Um, but what was there was uh, there's a gentleman, Chris Dimitri, who rest in peace was. Uh, was a huge inspiration. My one of my first mentors behind the bar, um, and he was uh, just finding all these micro brews. Like that's what he, you know, we called craft beer micro brews. Yeah, then. and uh, you know he, uh, he, while everyone was finding like these small, you know, little distilleries and things like that, he was actually doing the whole gambit. So he was like, we. I met Sir Anthony Fuller from Fuller's ESB. Came over and did a whole lecture. Uh, and that was probably in like 1995. Um, you know, we had Cellus White, which is uh, now in the state of Texas where I live, one of the yeah. first craft beers uh, coming out of here. Um, yeah, so it, w- it was really amazing. And that's what turned me on to dis- like discovering things. So that turned me on to beer and beer was my my first step into a darker world. And, and then go ahead, Dad. Old, Old Bay seems to have specialized in Creole cocktails. They did. They what had... is that? What is that? <laughs> exactly. Well, they did have a Sazerac. They had, mm-hmm. oh God, I know hurricanes were a big one. Like oh, we yeah. had, we had the big lanterns with, there was like a two, two drink maximum on that one. Yeah. Um, was, was, it, know, was it pre-mix like Pat O'Brien stuff or? or no. no. And, and it actually was a, a better color even. Uh, it okay. was. Good. It, because it, it, it needs to be. <laughs> it was the orange juice that did it, but okay. it was, but it did have like five rums, you know, uh, probably roses, lime juice, grenadine, and then uh, different juices. Um, and it, you know, it was, it was not too bad. There was something called a swamp water, which I know had, uh, I think Jack Daniels and Midori somehow. Of course uh, needs to have Midori to, so, to be called a swamp water, I guess. I think it was, I think it was maybe the precursor to the grenadine, the gre- mm. uh, grenade, what do they call it? Grenade. That's what oh, it is. The, oh, oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and re- remind me in at Rutgers, what is that area where all the food trucks were? And there was that like really gross one with the fr- French fries and egg and burger or something, right? Yeah, the, it was called the grease trucks. That's right, um, the grease trucks. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like, this is like good New Jersey thinking, right? It's like one of them had uh, caught fire on the street next to a dorm. So what they decided <laughs> to do was put them all in a parking lot together. Yes, <laughs> that's right. And, and so you would go there, you know, late at night. They'd be open until uh, I have no idea. So after the bars close, everybody would go there and uh, have a. Uh, what can I think of the name of it? Whatever but it's yeah. like, it's like a heart attack burger, basically. 
It, it was. It was basically a double patty sub sandwich with French fries and everything on it. Fat Cat, that was it. Oh, that's right. Fat Cat. Oh, wow. I'm jealous. We didn't have anything like that in my day at Rutgers. No, Dad, Dad you would have been... This was, this was well after my time. You would have been all over it, Dad. You yeah, it was all, definitely. This, all this culinary innovation happened after you left. Yeah, it did. <laughs> it, 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 the cuisine exploded after <laughs> I left, yes. So after, so Jay, after um, after college, did you want to move to the big city to pursue art, or how did that come about? I mean, I actually just I followed a girl. Classic story. Oh, yeah, mm. um, yeah, and uh, I, I think we were together for about a year afterwards. But uh, yeah, my first job was at Tavern on the Green. It was it was horrible. Oh, really? Yeah, I worked the outdoor bar. Uh, which, you know, it was, it, it was a, it was a weird place to work. It was a lot of people. Um, they, they turned and turned people out pretty quick at that time. Well, was that, and, um, because I worked at the Russian tea room, um, which for a time was owned, but was that when the Leroy family took it over or was that before? It was when they owned it. Yes. It was the Right. And then, yeah, it was Jennifer Leroy, uh, who, who owned it. And she also owned, um, the Russian Tea Room for a while, yeah. right? But at, yeah. but at that time, it was Warner Leroy was Warner. who was still still oh, was running. Still, he oh, was yeah. still right. running around in his fancy sports coats yeah. and uh, causing trouble. Yeah. Quite a character that one was. Yeah, I, I didn't really know him, but because I think by the time I had worked at the Russian, I had started the Russian Tea Room. I think it had been given to Jennifer. Um, I think he. I think he well, had he passed. Had, yes, oh, yeah, he, he had passed. passed. That's, that's he had passed away. Yeah. yeah, and that's. I think that's when it turned hands. Um, but yeah, and so, uh, you know, funny enough, I was uh, trying to get out of there pretty, pretty, uh, pretty badly. And um, I was calling my friend uh, from college, who was my actually my roommate, he was also a bartender, and he had set up a place in New Brunswick called Clyde's, which was this martini bar. And uh, so I'd kind of helped him R&D, uh, R&D the cocktails. And so I reached out to him and was like, I don't know where to look. And he's like, well, I got this book. And he started going through and it was like Lennox room. And, uh, you know, and one of the, one of the places he listed was uh, Pravda. And he you know, said, yeah, it's a you know, 281 Lafayette. And I just wrote it down, wrote down all the addresses and was like, yeah, I'll just go walk by. Opened up the New York times after I got off the phone with him. I'm looking through and all of a sudden I see, like an open call, no no restaurant or bar list, and it says two eighty one Lafayette. <laughs> and uh, so for those for those who don't know at home, um, there is there is a such thing as uh, a newspaper that uh, would list uh, want ads and um, uh, and and job openings. They used to yeah, and 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 not only that, but like the you know, New York Times was an investment. I mean, the Village Voice you could go pick up, you know, somewhere. But I had to pay for that, and I had no money. Right, right. And uh, yeah, so that's uh, I walked into uh, Pravda, didn't even know what it was. Um, I was the first person there. I saw some guy that kind of looked like he might be homeless, trying to push <laughs> a handcart through uh, through a small doorway with some cases, and I, I went over and I helped him out. And it turned out to be uh, Peter McNally, Keith McNally's brother, who was the oh. bar manager <laughs> of uh, Pravda, uh, also an artist type uh, himself. And uh, yeah, after, I don't know, there was there was probably about 150 people that were there and I they everyone was leaving and I, I was just sitting there and I'm like, I'm really not that amazing. They actually hired me because I had no experience oh, <laughs> in wow. New York. Yeah. They wanted somebody who wasn't jaded. Mm-hmm. And uh 
so that's how they uh, they, they selected me. And uh, you know, that was uh, actually one of Dale's uh, Dale DeGroff's first consulting gigs. So he set up the uh, the program there and trained the bartenders and set the tone for uh, you know what what one day I, I would inherit. Wow! And then and that's where you met Dushan. Yeah, actually, <laughs> I did. First, I met Igor. Yeah, okay. uh, and then uh, and then Dijon came on and uh, he was hired. They had kind of cleared house. Everybody except for me and Igor uh, was was uh, was let go. And the two of us were, uh, you know, working for like two weeks straight while we had to bring somebody in and train. And uh, yeah. And then all of a sudden in walks, uh, walks Dijon, you know, and uh it was, uh, you know, he was very sure of what he was doing at that time. And so, <laughs> so uh, even back then, um, but we had that, we found this kinship, him and I, uh, pretty quickly. It was almost like we complimented each other. Very different personality types. Very, uh, we wanted to do the same things, just had different ways of approaching it. So, um, yeah, one day he, uh, you know, the one day he came up to me and, uh, you know, he said, Hey, you know, Poppy, I'm, I'm working on this cocktail book. You know, I, I was wondering if you want to write it with me. And, you know, little did he know that for the last four months I had been writing away on a computer and putting together all these ideas, um, for trying to articulate all this, you know, knowledge that I had been acquiring and sort of looking at old cocktail books and, yeah. uh, wanted a way to vocalize it. So, uh, I just looked at him and I was like, I already started it. And, uh, and that was kind of it. And that led to us, uh, even consulting eventually, uh, one day and, uh, working for the, the liquor brands. So, so you guys kind of got together and started consulting, um, uh, with, and it's a similar story to, to me, you know, that was kind of a, that was a side hustle for me was consulting for the liquor brands while I was bartending full time. And it was mainly, it was mainly because, the liquor brand people were coming into my bar and they were telling me to play around with these products of theirs. Uh, and I was like, well, maybe I should start getting paid for, for, you know, creating these new recipes that they're asking me to create. <laughs> oh yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, for, for us, it was, I think the, 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 the weird thing was that, uh, we, we first were working for, for hotels. Uh, we were getting hired to do trainings, right? So it kind of fit in line with what we were doing with the book, the writing and the teachings and, oh, yeah. and all oh, that. A place, place in, places in DC, right? I, I was just talking to someone and they said, oh yeah, we had a training program with, uh, oh, yeah. uh, Dushan and, and Jay, I think, yeah, if right? You know, if you know Joe Pereira from, uh, that's exactly, that's exactly, yep. that's exactly who I was talking to a couple of days ago. And we were trying to figure out his timeline of his, all of the places he worked. <laughs> Yeah, it was the uh, the W or the Washington Hotel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was a John George J and G Steakhouse, I believe. Right, That's that we right. had set up. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty, uh, pretty crazy. Yeah, and I think uh, you know the one thing that that had ended up happening too is that um, we were uh, we also you know Deshaun was actually not even I wouldn't know if he was really hired or if he was just part of the opening team at Schiller's, and so he uh, if you remember Schiller's Liquor Bar in the in the east lower east side. Mm -hmm. Um, he did all the cocktails and did all the training and, um, you know, co it coincides with really the formation of what our company was called cocktail conceptions. Right. And so we actually, 
made a name for it. We started making, you know, I started like drawing business cards. And so we were like, yeah, we're going to you know, take the world and on and do this thing. And, um, so we, we got an answer, we had an answering machine. So this was really, yes, as, as one would. <laughs> and, uh, we took our landline for our apartment where we all lived together. And, uh, we had my, uh, Igor's girlfriend at the time record the, uh, you know, the, the, the message in a, in a sultry voice. And it's like, hello, you've reached cocktail conceptions. Please leave your name and number after the beep. <laughs> and so she, she creates this message and then she hangs, you know, we set it up. And then all of a sudden the phone rings and we're like, let the machine get it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so the phone's ringing, finally it picks up and it's like, you've reached cocktail conceptions, you know? And then you hear like the beep and it's like, uh, hi, this is Bill Hamilton from the New York times. Whoa. Um, I uh, was calling to talk to Dushan about Schiller's, but I'm actually a little more interested in this cocktail conceptions thing. And uh, wow, <laughs> so and, you guys, and you guys were like, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Oh, no, we didn't get to it quick enough. He hung up and we're just like, what, what do we do? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we called him back and uh, it was, uh, you know, kind of like this dual article uh, where it was about Schiller's and then about us. Um, wow. So they wrote a... They wrote an article about you guys. I didn't even I didn't even know that. When what year was this? It was probably in 2003 would be my guess. Yeah. And the next thing you know, I think we were getting phone calls from uh at that time, uh what was it? What well, was Absolute. Uh and they were working on a few different things. And so uh they asked us to do a to create a cocktail for a preview of what would become Level Vodka. And we put that together and we were at the top of uh uh, it probably was Trump Tower, I think. <laughs> and uh, and we were doing uh, this party and making martinis. Um, and they wrote us a check to Cocktail Conceptions. And then I turned to Deshaun and was like, fuck, we don't have a bank account. <laughs> oh, God. Like, we, don't even have, we don't even have a business. Oh, like, no. We just made up a name and made business cards. That's like, hilarious. Ch- you know, like, like children do, you know? <laughs> right. So then we had a, you know, we, we had to go to the bank and... Uh, we went to a bank in Greenpoint and they were like, well, and we got incorporated. We did that properly. Okay. And then, um, but they're like, we have to see where you work because we don't really believe you're doing what you <laughs> are trying to tell us you're doing, mm-hmm. you know, because nobody was doing that kind of thing back then. Yeah. No, no one. Yeah. That's really funny. And, and oh, go ahead, dad. No, I was just going to say, and then you all put your heads together and came up with employees only. Yeah, no, for sure. That was uh, that was a very it was a very very natural thing, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we looked at a few different spaces. Somewhere in the Lower East Side, there was one that was, I think, one that we looked at that it ended up becoming La Esquina. So we had this idea of being downstairs. Um, I think we I think probably the the saddest thing that we had was there was one place that was across the street from a hospice. <laughs> in the lower east side and hmm. you know uh yeah that was that was kind of crazy that would be interesting to yeah, be across you know hospice like um you go you know family members go and then that's it and then they grab a drink exactly Pretty one for much. the road one for the road um, in honor of the the person who passed so so when you were so you were figuring out locations and then you found the location um, and really employees only was and is one of the first, if not the first in New York city to be like a speakeasy style, um, cocktail bar. And, you know, there were others 
that were peripheral, but you wouldn't really categorize it as that. Um, like I know in the past, Jay, you and I have talked about going out afterwards after bartending. Uh, one of the places I used to go to was APT down in Meatpacking. Yeah. Oh um, God, APT. <laughs> I, I know, and and that place was like, I it blew my mind at the time because I was like, wait, you're it, you don't know. There's no sign. You actually have to press a doorbell like it's an apartment and then you go up in the elevator and it's like an apartment. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you also got, I think you entered on a loading dock even. Oh, I think that's what it was. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, yeah. I mean that, God, there's, uh, I knew, I knew a number of people. I mean, there's, there's many mornings that I was still there after, after hours. <laughs> um, yeah, that place was, uh, was a lot of fun. Yeah. I think they had, I mean, they had good cocktails. They had somewhat of a cocktail program, didn't they? You know, I, who knows? I think that they, I, you know, who knows, right? <laughs> I think it was, uh, it was like whatever I could get because it was after hours, right? So whatever they would serve me was kind of what I was drinking. Yeah, if I exactly. Remember correctly. Yes. So it was either a beer or vodka usually. Yeah, or shot or shots or uh, who, who knows. Um, yeah. And then, and then employees only with that. How did the concept come about? And then you know we we can't sure. not talk we can't not talk about the the training program and the training philosophy also. Yeah, so that I mean, the concept really, uh, you know, it started with, um, you know, sort of like going back to a, to another era was was uh, how we were looking at it. You know, I think probably romantically, everyone uh, in their head has in their minds that the you know prohibition was the the height of the cocktail, you know, the golden era of cocktails when it was probably a pretty sad time for it. Yeah, but. Um, so we just decided to play it. We, you know, we love the Art Deco style. We hadn't really seen that. I mean, Milk and Honey was for sure around uh, by a couple of years at this point. And, um, you know, but I mean, obviously he was a true speakeasy. It was very uh, minimalist in terms of the original decor. And, uh, you know, so we were trying to capture sort of that, uh, that cocktail error. And, um, you know, one, one part of that as well was the, uh, was the uniform. And uh, that came out of uh, there was a, a Bon Vivant's Companion or How to Mix Drinks. Yeah, uh, there was uh, there was a 1929 version, I believe, uh, which also had a history of the book and history of bars in the front of it. Uh, and that one, there's there's a picture, and it had Igor's mustache, you know, perfectly. Yeah, uh, but it had this kind of coat that was more like a kind of like a chef's coat. Uh, and kind of buttoned up and white and pristine. And right. so, uh, so we went on the search to, to find that jacket or, or to make it. And we uh, found a very obscure, uh, you know, chef's jacket that was made by a local company and uh, worked with them to kind of like retool it a little bit. And, uh, you know, and that's, and that's where the jacket itself comes from. Yeah. Um, you know, the other piece of it, meaning the, the training portion of it, uh, just came out of kind of necessity. We had opened up and we opened up with a, uh, with two barbacks with the promise that, you know, we don't know when we can make you bartenders. We really, you know, we have to work behind the bar to make a living. Um, but as soon as we can, we are going to train you to do that. Uh, you know, in, in that time, I think that there was, you know, th there was definitely, um, you know, keeping somebody as a bar back and sort of cycling through people was pretty common and we wanted to give people a clear path. But, uh, you know, at that time there was a lot of ambiguity of what our, you know, success would be. And, uh, it was probably in the first seven months when we were able to 
promote our first uh, uh, apprentice, as he kind of became, uh, into a uh, bartender or a principal bartender. And then all of a sudden we had these other people that were, some of them were bartenders and they wanted to work for us. And we said, well, we have a spot open now, but it could be like a year and a half before you ever get to behind the bar. And, uh, you know, and we use that time to basically teach them how, you know, sort of our style of service and sort of how to, you know, make things happen in the bar. You know, uh, one of my mentors, Henry Lafargue, who was my, who's my partner in employees only, he, uh, you know, he said, uh, you know, that everything is based on possibilities, right? So if you can, if you can dangle possibilities in front of people, you know, mm. that, you know, that's, that's what makes the magic in a bar. Yeah. And yeah. And then a few years after you opened employees only, you opened another bar, Macau Trading Company. Macau Trading Company. What yeah. Brought, what brought that about? Uh, well, in some ways, it was a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction. Um, my one partner, uh, Billy Gilroy, uh, had talked about how he was intrigued by Macanese cuisine, and and I started looking at it, um, and you know, it was like a fantastic uh, East meets West. It's five hundred years, and you know, it was first. Uh, you know, Portuguese uh, kind of like ran it as a colony. And then, you know, it was, uh, and then the English, I, I mean, the, it was just like this. It, it, it was like one place, I think that the Japanese didn't touch during World War II. Uh, and there was, you know, that's where like the, you know, the, the opium was coming out of where guns were coming out of. And, or, you know, it was just this like really sort of debaucherous place. And we we're like, oh, that would make a good sequel to, <laughs> you know, employees only. Yeah. And then of course you would need a whole new set of exotic cocktails to go along with the food. No, exactly. And that was, yeah. that was a lot of fun to do too, but really it was, we had this idea in our back pocket, but we were going to do a full fledged restaurant and uh, it was going to be called Zeppelin. And, you know, we were going to do table side. It was still going to be art deco, you know, that thirties sort of style of service, early thirties and uh, you know, kind of over the top. Um, and uh, I remember the day it all fell apart. We had we had issues with the landlord and with the co-op. We couldn't get things approved, and eventually we had to we had to pull out of it. And the second the rent sign went up, uh, the for rent sign eater, which was really new at that time, had a big thing of the Hindenburg crashing. Oh God! <laughs> Talking about how Zeppelin was dead. Uh, so it was kind of I think we we picked that name just for that moment. <laughs> that was cute. That was cute yeah. of Eater Eater to do that, right? Oh, exactly. Um, but yeah, it was it was a uh, and Macau just became something that we did. Uh, like I said, we did it kind of quickly. We we crossed paths with uh, uh, another uh, sort of uh, brother from another mother type guy, and mm-hmm. uh, next thing you know, we were like building this place out and giving it all this uh, you know these touches, and it was a lot of fun. And you guys, you guys did. You you also maintained a remarkable and delicious food program for for both employees only and Macau. And I really, I I think often about the tuna tartare from employees only, and it's just something that I can rarely get out of my brain. <laughs> yeah, no, and a table side too, right? Yeah, so we would make it make it for the guest. Um, it, it was that was a lot of fun, but we really, uh, you know, our, our chef uh, Julia was just you know, she really kind of took that, uh, took that little kitchen downstairs, a little electric kitchen and elevated it 
I just turned uh, made some incredible, incredible food. Uh, I mean, like probably one of the best uh, ribeyes you could get in the city, you know, at a bar. Uh, just fantastic. And you and you helped. Then you helped uh, found eighty six company, and you moved to Dallas. Yeah, yeah, kind of all around the same time. Yeah, we were still working on it. Um, you know, I had kind of, uh, you know, started to to leave uh, New York and sort of tie up those those ends, and we started to to formulate with Simon Ford the the eighty six company, and um, you know, it took us probably, God. It took us over probably three and a half years to really, to get it, to get it, to make it real, to have something physical to, to touch. Um, but yeah, that was a wild, wild ride as well. <laughs> and, and now can you tell us uh, a little bit about what, what you're doing now? What's been happening? Yeah. So I'm, I've been in Austin for the last eight years. Um, you know, uh, kind of, I mean, I loved what I did on the supply side of things with, you know, 86 and all. Um, but really my heart is in, is in restaurants and, and hospitality. Um, so I kind of fell into, it's just sort of timing, got introduced coincidentally by two different people to two very influential people in high hospitality. Uh, and those that's the parent company of uh, Uchi, which is kind of one of the first sort of uh, culinary destinations in Austin, Texas. And then... Um, Followed up by uh, Laura, which is a uh, an Asian smokehouse, so a collaboration from the Uchi oh, team and my Aaron Franklin. Yeah, yeah Aaron Franklin yeah. from Franklin Barbecue. Yes. So, oh, um, I love Franklin Barbecue. It's it's really it's it's like it's all the personality, but it's just really like a lot of fun. So uh, kind of almost taking not taking a step back, but like really losing all the pretense and uh, you know it's we call it bar service. So you go and you order from the bartender, and you, we have big outdoor patio, lots of tables, large Love tables. Love it. Um, yeah. So the food gets delivered to you. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, perfect during these times as well. Oh, for sure. And, and we do a lot of fun stuff. We have batched cocktails. We have frozen drinks. Oh, nice. You know. Yeah. Our frozen gin and tonic is probably the number oh, one geez. seller. Dad, yeah. dad, I'm booking our trip to Austin as, <laughs> as we speak. I'm ready now, John. Let's go. You're ready. Make okay. room for us, Jason. Uh, we're, we're coming down. Plenty we're of coming down. And, dog, and dog friendly patio. We're, we're going to tear up the place. Dad okay. does a lot of tearing up when, uh, oh, when yeah. we go out. When we go out to places, it's pretty <laughs> incredible. Um, Love it. Well, uh, Jay, this this has been awesome, and it's always great to see you and to see your face because we do this video as well on video. So those of you on YouTube, you can check it out. You could watch us doing it. Um, but uh, thank you so much for joining us on our brand new podcast. Yeah, no, yeah. thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Jason. I'm going to toast to you with my Marie Broussard Apri. And congratulations on everything you've accomplished and oh, for being you. the founder of two iconic bars, not just in New York, but in the United States, employees only in Macau trading. I mean, incredible. Thank, thank you, you for doing that. Yes, a true, a true trailblazer. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. All right. Take care. You too, guys. Okay. Bye, Jason. Bye. 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 Bye.
That does it for today's show. To learn more about future guests, visit thecocktailguru.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. The Cocktail Guru Podcast is produced by First Real Entertainment and distributed by Eats Drinks TV, a service of the Center for Culinary Culture, home of the Cocktail Collection, and is available via Anchor, Spotify, Apple, Google, and wherever fine podcasts can be heard.